Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry Arn joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, presented by Hillsdale College. To find more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, and Ricochet. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. It's Hugh Hewitt. We are playing the Hillsdale Dialogue early this week because people wanted to hear from Dr. Larry Arn. We will return to Churchill, the writer, next week as we continue on with the history of the English-speaking people. And I thank all of you who have sent me notes saying how much you love it. But after an election, even one where we don't quite know yet because of the way California, Nevada, and Georgia votes, who won, won, Dr. Arn is here to offer us the perspective that only history and historians can provide. Good morning, Dr. Larry Arn from Hillsdale College, where you are the president. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm disappointed. Yeah, well, me too. I'm not <laughs> fully surprised, but I'm disappointed. Now, uh, let, let's start with Churchill losing after he won the war. So we can't be that disappointed, right? Yeah, it, uh, uh, there's a passage he writes about that. Uh, everybody, including Joseph Stalin, told him that he was going to sweep, uh, his party was going to sweep in the 1945 election. And, you know, he was fighting a war and trying to bring it to a conclusion, so he had plenty to think about. But he said that he waked in the middle of the night with a stab of fear. <laughs> and uh, that's unlike him. He's a good sleeper. Uh, so he... he uh, you know, and then it was a landslide against it. And it was a decide in British politics, in American politics to a lesser extent. In British politics, uh, elections are more coherent than they are here. And that's because it's a national thing. The House of Commons is the big deal. They're all elected on the same day. And the balance is crucial. And so Labor got, first of all, Labor ran. Oh, another thing is, campaigns there are not very long. You know, they go six, eight weeks. Uh, and, they're, and they're not even scheduled until six or eight weeks before the vote is held. So Labor ran on a, camp, on a platform of nationalization. They're going to nationalize the election. Uh, they're going to nationalize major industries. And then they won by a lot. And Churchill's opinion was... It would be wrong to obstruct them. Uh, in other words, the mandate thing works more clearly there than it does here. Uh, he said, Churchill even said once that uh, parliaments do the big controversial things. He said parliaments tend to last five years. They do the big controversial things in the first two years, the things they ran on. And they have the voters behind them, and that's crucial. Uh and then, he, and, then, and then in the next two years, they do housekeeping. And in the last year, they get ready for an election. And so he believed that the Social Party, Socialist Party was elected to nationalize those industries. And even though he hated it, he didn't denationalize them when he won a more narrow majority in 1951. Well, what about here? You know, how, how did Joe Biden run in 2020 to do all of this? Is that what he said? And so, uh, and see, I, I, I'm very concerned about early voting, and I haven't had time to study it yet. Uh, scholarship works at a different pace than 
punditry. Uh, but there were 37, 38, rounding to 38% of the vote, it appears, was cast before Election Day. And those people didn't have the same information as the ones who voted on Election Day. And, for example, in, in, uh, in Michigan, where I'm very disappointed by Tudor Dixon's loss, and also not surprised by it, I think she was a great candidate, and she got 47% of the vote the last time I looked. But she was outspent hugely, you yes. know, maybe 10 to 1. And she didn't have any advertisements on until a few days for Election Day. And the governor was on all summer. And so the people who voted, they, they didn't have the Tudor Dixon story. And, that's, and see, what I think is bad about that is that uh, in, in, the, in the founding, in the proper political thought of all kinds, anywhere, the proper sovereign is the people. And the people need some constitutional way to act. And, and if they all act on the same day, then they have a dignity, right? They, uh, the, the, just like the legislature votes at certain times and not others, and they vote on issues all at the same time. The people have always done that, but they're not doing that now. And so, and that, you know, opens up, there's a rich field of study here for somebody who studies elections, but it opens up months of time when activists can work and unions can get out the vote. I'm just reading an article this morning about how they closed the schools in a state on election Oh, yes. Day. Yeah, Virginia. And, Virginia and, had closed schools. And that's, you know, that's, uh, that means that uh, they get all day to go work the vote. You know, because you don't have to close school to have time to vote. Uh, but that's a teacher union demand that has been honored in places like California and Virginia, and it's, it's an advantage. We have got some advantages, too. I, I, what I want to go to is Pennsylvania, though, Dr. Arn. Because we don't know uh, Georgia, and we won't know Georgia for a while, and we don't know Nevada, and we won't know Nevada for a while. Because we, we're talking on Wednesday, and we're not going to even have Nevada done by Thursday, I don't think. And California takes forever. But we have Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania is a closed book. And obviously, John Fetterman does not have the capacity to be a United States senator at this point. Maybe he will recover. He won anyway. What do you put that down to? Well, you know, there are two possible conclusions. You can give up on the people, but both principle and prudence uh, forbid that, right? The people is the only hope. And anyway, they've got a right. They should run the country. Yep. And, and uh, so maybe the electorate has become corrupt and will just vote on partisan lines. Uh, and, in, and in Pennsylvania, the Democrats have to whip hands. Or maybe... There's a machine working in politics. Uh, I, it's very hard to find out who spent the most money. Uh, I see reports this morning, one from NBC News and one from Fox, and, and, the, and the Fox one says the Democrats outspent the Republicans a bunch. Oh, Forbes, not Fox, Forbes, outspent the Democrats a bunch, and the Republicans and the and the. Uh, Sorry, they, NBC says the Democrats outspent. Well, I know in Michigan they did because it just all you got to do is watch 
football on Sunday and see who's on there. Um, and, you know, that's it, it's probably true, but I don't know, that the Democrats have more money in politics. Now, they certainly outspent Trump in 2020. And where does the money come from, right? That's a... This is a big, complicated subject because it's, got, it's broken down into parts, right? There's direct contribution to candidates, and there's contributions to parties, and then there's various groups that, can, that have cer- certain liberties about how much they can raise in maximum contribution size. And so it's very difficult to get a handle on all that. But I would guess and see, but you, you can think of it this way. <laughs> the government is roughly a little more than half the economy. Uh, discretionary spending is much lower than that, but, uh, but uh, you know, because the entitlements make up a huge part of the thing. But the entitlements, too, have political effects. And so if you're a, a big national corporation, you're just bound to do a lot of money, a lot of business with the government. And that means you'll be responsive to them. Um, so there, that's an interest, right? The government itself has become an interest in politics, and it's a very big interest. Well, let me ask you this about that interest in politics. We have to study two things the most. We have to study the size and scale of the Ron DeSantis win. Uh, Okay, that's to me very important. We have to study Pennsylvania. These are two states that were swingy for a long time. Pennsylvania remains swingy. Um, when we come back, I'm going to ask you about Ron DeSantis. But, you know, he ran substantially ahead of Republicans across the country. First bite at the apple, 30 seconds. Why? <laughs> He's very talented, and he did a really great job. Uh, you know, he, his victory was long prepared in both policy and politics. And he's a rare, talented man who can bring all that together. Uh, when we come back from break, we're going to expand on that. Cause politics is a craft. It's not a profession. And the craft requires, like, carpentry and opera singing and any other kind of craft, including scholarship. Uh, you may have credentials, but it comes down to your craft. And Ron DeSantis worked it, and he worked it well. We'll talk with Dr. Arn about what makes for kind of candidate that DeSantis was on Tuesday night when we come back. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt, Dr. Larry Arn, the Hilldale Dialogue. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn. The Hilldale Dialogue is early this week because we had a big election. Dr. Arn doesn't do politics. He's nonpartisan at Hillsdale College, but Hillsdale.edu will have lots of takes and analysis for you. Dr. Arn, I'm not upset with the Supreme Court for deciding Dobbs because they upheld the Constitution, in my view. So if we're going to have a Constitution, we've got to live by it. But it does seem to me we were inartful, but Ron DeSantis did not get hit by that at all. And Florida is, is my guess, like every other state in America, divided on the question of abortion. I want to go back to the craft of politics. You've studied forever the most successful politician of the 20th century, not in terms of number of wins, but in terms of being there when we needed him. What is it about DeSantis? Let's expand on the craft that he brought to this. Uh, well, he, uh, so first of all, uh, you know, I'll say something about Churchill's success. He, he ran for office maybe 18 times, and he won all of them but one. But they don't really have national elections in Britain. 
And only once did he run for office for his seat when he was the leader of the party. And he won that one. Uh, so, well, I'm sorry, take it back. Uh, twice. Uh, in 1945 and in 1951, and he won one of them and he lost one of them. Right. And, and uh, <laughs> he, he won the second one. And uh, he, so, yeah, he was a highly successful politician, and he was always an important man in British politics. Uh, uh, somebody, I, I read something somebody wrote the other day, and that was when he was a minor figure. And I wrote back, you know, he was never a minor figure. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he took up a lot of space. Um, but now, Florida. See, first of all, here's what we hope for. And Florida is an example. Uh, uh, Lincoln says, a constitutional majority shifting readily with changes of policy and events is the only true sovereign of a free people. Right, so that means the majority's got to move around. It shouldn't be ossified. And American politics are awkwardly designed in many ways. All politics are, but it's very artfully and wonderfully designed to produce a national decision, and not all at the same time, and not all in the same way. But the people are in ultimate control, and that's you know that's why I don't like this early voting. I like us all to get together and make our decision at the same time. Uh, but uh, so in Florida, it's a great case, right? Florida was a red state for old people like me, and you know that it was a red state for a long time. And then we started writing it off, right? It was a yep. blue state. It was a blue and state. Very difficult. And then DeSantis comes. And what are the elements of his success? Um uh, well, he's very smart, you know, and very purposeful and very consistent. And so he, he figured out that school choice was a winning political issue. As far as I know, he's the first one to figure it out. And, and you know, that traces to a line of argument that I like to make, which is people need to be independent to be governors, to be free citizens and be in control of the country. And so what are the big sources of their independence? And there are two, what, two main sources. Their families and, their, and the way they make a living. Add that where and whether or not they go to church. So kids are very important. And DeSantis figured out that, I mean, he just had the good sense and faith to understand that mothers are mothers. And so, so he campaigned for governor the first time in inner-city schools, and the exit polls are not very good, but they show that he got 60,000 more votes from black women than any Republican had ever had. And he won the state by 45,000 votes. And he campaigned heavily around a, on the site of inner-city choice schools. And his message was, they're going to take your school away from you. And this is a school that you can have a lot of influence over and can do a good job with your kids according to your lights. And so he just committed to that, and, and, and more than I've known anybody to do it, and he won. And, he won. and not only did he win, he increased his win. When we come back, 1978 is looming in my rearview mirror, and Arn and I, Dr. Arn and I, are old enough to remember that. And we'll talk about how 1980 was seated in 1978 when we come back.
Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. In 1978, the uh, Democratic president, Jimmy Carter, sort of lost the midterms. The Republicans picked up three in the Senate, but they didn't get control of the Senate. And the Republicans picked up 15 in the House, and they didn't get control of the House. So 1978 wasn't that great for Republicans. It was a win, but it wasn't much of a win. In fact, if you give me an opportunity, I, I'm sure I would take 2022 over 1978, Dr. On, but we're disappointed. I'm disappointed. I shouldn't speak for you. I'm disappointed because I got I got caught up thinking that we were going to win a red wave. And, and the early results out of Florida really confirmed that. So it's a sugar high, but I still look at Florida and want to study Florida. Do you think we are set up well for 19, uh, for 2024 as we were for 1980, which no one saw coming and no one saw Ronald Reagan getting the nomination? Well, you have to uh, uh, you have to believe that it's not trends that matter; it's choices. And you know, we're that's a, that's a very hopeful message right now because the trends are terrible in in America. I mean, if you want to compare twenty twenty two to nineteen seventy eight, the government is much bigger, much bigger, and it's got many more administrators in it. I mean, since two thousand, I recently did this number; they're about to begin in Primus. Uh, since 2000, students in public schools have grown 7.5%. Teachers have grown 8.5%. And administrators in public schools have grown 87%. And that's Department of Education numbers. Most of those administrators are at the district level. But there's a lot of them, right? And what do they do? You've got to wonder, right? Do, do we have as many administrators in the academic side of Hillsdale College as we have professors. It's sort of the ratio is 10 to 1. Uh, and so the, the thing is, it's, it, we've built, we've installed an administrative state. But I don't think, I agree with you, I don't think that's dispositive. And DeSantis's uh, effect on Georgia, sorry, on Florida in general, is very important, right? It's and profound. I, it's not old white people. It is people of color and ethnicity and fairly new arrivals in America, and they voted for him overwhelmingly against an experienced candidate with money. Charlie Chris is not, you know, he's, he's branded and he's branded badly, but he's not a yokel. No, and and you know he was, you know, he was a Republican governor of of Florida, and then he was, he, yeah, he was a governor, and he got beat, so he joined the Democratic Party. That's right. not great. He's but an he opportunist. Is, he is skilled, and he's... So, you know, what I think is we, we have to have a coherent message, right? And the message has to be derived from the Declaration of Independence. That's the touchstone of American politics. And if it stops being that, then we're finished. And, you know, that's what the most dangerous thing is today, by the way. We think the Declaration of Independence means the government needs, gets to do whatever it wants to equalize us. And equalizing us is impossible, right? Just start with the fact that the average person loves his own children more than he loves strangers. <laughs> so, so it's not, you know, we're not just a horde, right? We're a, a bunch of self-governing people responsible for our own choices. And as long as we retain the independence to change our minds uh, based on what's in front of us, then... The situation is not irredeemable. And well, you know, let, I, let, let's compare that with as long as we retain our choices. OK, 
California has locked in a permanent blue government. And they locked it in years ago, and they spend it to keep it, and manifestly incompetent people win. That's the administrative state, Dr. Ryan. And Florida went the other way to what is jokingly but actually truly called the free state of Florida. They embrace liberty at every level. That is the fundamental thing that's afoot. I just don't think it was framed very well by Republicans in key elections where they framed it as 2020 was stolen as opposed to lost. I think that was a losing message. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I personally think it may have been stolen, but I don't know. Right. I mean, this election, right, there are some terrible glitches and irregularities in Maricopa County again. Again. As it were in 2020, and maybe Kerry Lake, who's behind right now, is going to lose because of that. But that's hard to prove, you know. And so the main thing is, you have a positive message. Uh, if your message is they hurt us, right? You know, who cares about you? You know, who cares about us? Uh, so that's I, I I did very much believe that we should drop all that. Uh, and partly because uh, somebody pushed me, you know, because if you list the irregularities and the uh, that are in the in the election of 2020, you know, it's a long list. And I and I said, so you can't deny that they stole it. And I said, I can't. But let's say they stole it fair and square. <laughs> yeah, now, it's in the American tradition that is time honored. Yeah, that's right. And I and see. What I worry about, the new factor, the big factor, uh, I, I gave, I was at the Reagan Library last week, and I gave my third or fourth speech there, and I always give the same one, because in two speeches, the greatness of Ronald Reagan is apparent. In, in the time for choosing speech, which made him a national figure, which your friend and mine, Henry Salvatore, organized for him to give on national television, uh, and then his first inaugural address. And both of those are about self-government. What does it take for us to govern ourselves? We, we have a right to do that. What are the conditions? And the time for choosing speech is chiefly about the administrative state. And it's, you know, a very powerful thing. Uh, but the uh, first inaugural is, an, is a positive message, and it culminates. Uh, Reagan is the first president to move the inauguration ceremony around to the other side of the Capitol so he could look down the National Mall. And he takes us on a tour of the National Mall. He mentions Washington statue and Lincoln statue and Jefferson statue. And then he mentions Arlington Cemetery. And he says, look at the rows of crosses and stars of David. Before each one of them, a hero like the heroes I've been mentioning, and that means the ordinary citizen heroes he's mentioned and also the founding heroes he's mentioned. And then he, then he, he, he right, right near the end of the speech, he reads from a diary entry by a young man named Martin Treptow, who was a soldier in the Rainbow Division in the First World War, and he was killed. But in his diary, just before he was killed, he writes... Uh, I must fight this war as if the whole result depends upon me. See, and that's you see that's self-government, right? That's that's how we win wars. People fight them at risk of their lives, and great commanders are terribly important, but they're never as important 
as the people. You know, I, I, I interviewed Bibi Netanyahu this week for an hour, and Ooh. he won after five elections. It took him five tries to get a solid majority. And I didn't realize until I read his memoir and talked to him, he's a warrior. He's actually been in battle. He's been wounded in battle, seizing an aircraft seized by terrorists. He almost drowned in the Suez Canal during a war. He almost froze to death on the Golan Heights. He is a serious man who's been through serious things, and he never gave up. He did not tire, did not falter. I am curious whether you think the Republicans, you know, our friend Tom Cotton declared last week, for the right reasons, by the way, he is not going to run for president in 2024. The right reason being his boys are in the window where dad needs to be home. And there is no better reason than that. And I believe him. I don't, do you believe him? I believe him. Well, he called me about that, and I, it's, uh, I even think it's brilliant. So if you have kids, does it mean that you could never run for president? Well, obviously not. But if the kids are entering an age where they really need their dad, but they're not old enough to understand what's taking him away, that's what he said to me, right? And, you know, I, I know them both, and Tom and Anna Cotton, and they're splendid people. And I can just hear them. I've been in some conversations with them like this. Uh, you know, Anna, you know, she's protecting the kids. Anna, by the way, is a distinguished lawyer. And Very smart. Men on many corporate boards, right? She's a pre- yes. professional woman. But, you know, she, she thinks about those kids. Tom does, too. And so one night I was, we were having dinner, and I was called upon by Tom to talk to Anna about what it's like being president. And I said, uh, well, it's hell, I said, but you live above the shop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've, I, it's, I've had a weird career. I always live close to where I've always lived close to where I worked. It's 700 steps from my house to my office at Hillsdale College, and it was about a mile in Claremont. And that meant when I was home, I was home a lot, and I could work at home from home. I'm home right now. And if my grandkids come over, I'll be able to talk to them while I'm on the radio. Uh, Indeed, so, you would talk to them if you were on the radio. They would I come would, over and they'd be on the radio. Yeah, They make more sense than you and me. Uh, <laughs> Charlotte anyway, does. You know, uh, my wicked granddaughter, I mean, she's <laughs> the most important being on earth, and she was very fractious the other night. And, and think how smart she has to be to say this. Usually it works if she's fractious to give her to me because I'm fine. <laughs> but if that doesn't work, nuclear weapons is given her to Penny. Yes. And my name is Babaw. Penny's name is Nini, and 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 they start thrusting Charlotte toward me, and she says, "Other Baba." Other. <laughs> He's not even in town. She wanted Dan's dad. Just a complete rejection. And then they tried Penny. Other Nini. Other. <laughs> crushing, you know. <laughs> so she rules with an iron hand. Anyway, if you if you have the right kind of job. You can be involved in all that stuff, and you need to be, right? So getting elected is a different thing than serving. If we come back, we're going to close on that because as the Republicans look forward, Ron DeSantis has small children, too. It's going to be very interesting what's going to happen now. Very, very interesting. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm Hugh. You'll be right back with more Dr. Arn on the Hillsdale Dialogue. Welcome back, 
America. The Hillsdale Dialogue is early because tomorrow is Veterans Day, and we spend all day talking about the Semper Fi Fund while, of course, updating the election results as they continue to come in from the West Coast. Dr. Arn, when we went to break, we're talking about 2024. Uh, Tom Cotton has said, I'm going to take a pass for the best of reasons. Ron DeSantis, we don't know. Donald Trump, we don't know. I think Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence are going to run for president. What do you think Republicans have to think through as they make this choice? My hope is put the country first in all your calculations. We have to win the presidency. Yeah, you have to. uh, So, you know, the past is easier to understand than the present because the president is changing all the time. So how did Lincoln think of the very coherent career of Abraham Lincoln? He was in active politics for nine or ten years, I think. But there was this issue, slavery. And he spent his formative years and into the middle of his career figuring out what to do about that. And he found a piece of genius, finally. Some people at Hillsdale College had something to do with this, by the way. Uh, uh, Slavery existed in the states, and the the states had constitutional authority over it. So how are you going to abolish it in the states? And so he just, there was a happy accident. I mean, logically, an accident. It's a really big country, and most of it is not yet organized as states. And the federal government had the power of direct rule over the unincorporated federal territories. And so no more Missouri compromises. It will not be allowed to grow another inch. Well, that was upsetting to the to the slaveholders, and it was good with most other people. And that was a winning platform, right? In other words, he thought what to do, not just the reasons for what to do, because when Abraham Lincoln talked about freedom and equality and the Declaration of Independence and slavery, nobody ever spoke about those things better. But also, what will we do, you see? And that's... And it needs to be something that you can explain simply. Uh, I think charter schools is such an issue, and DeSantis has been uh, one of the two or three best school reformers in America. And a lot of people close to him have helped him with that for more than a decade now. And Florida is charter school heaven. And what's great about that is it solves a lot of problems in a hurry, which is the reason there's such a struggle about it. Because it circumvents the bureaucracy. And it saves the country long term. Because we do need to educate children. Yeah. And everybody recognizes that. And, you know, it's amazing. I'm astonished at how much... uh, uh, I'm astonished at how much... I'm just reading a quote from Nancy Pelosi, who's taking pride in how the Democratic Party has overperformed. Um, The... the, uh, People get it, right, that most of what is taught in school is not controversial. Because, first of all, the most important subjects are reading, writing, and arithmetic. And those are direct operations of human reason. We only, we do those things. And by nature, we're equipped to do those things. So it ought to be possible successfully to help them learn those things. But then after that, history is a big subject. And history is deeply controversial, but it ought not to be, because history already happened, right? Uh, Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle both wrote almost exactly these words. 
This alone is denied even to God to make what has been not to have been. <laughs> and then literature is the poetic account of nature and human nature. And the beautiful literature has a, has a reputation, long-standing. And, and so if you ask the question, what are the great books of literature, any serious answer will include William Shakespeare, right? Yes. And so, in other words, I've just described an entire school curriculum, almost yes. entire, right? Professor Jaffa, my teacher, used to say, uh, the 30,000 people at the max who went to the Lincoln-Douglas debates, uh, overwhelming majority had two books in their house, the King James Bible and the plays of William Shakespeare. And... There's a whole education in those things. But you've got to study them yeah, to get well, that education. Just, and see, uh, they're, they're challenging, right? But they're beautiful. And if you just set about it, you can do it, right? And then, and, and see, you get, because a lot of things that they, you know, the contemporary books that, they've, that they use in public schools, a lot of them are just like political tracts. You know, there's crude ways of making points. They want everybody to think. They want they, they, they want the conclusion, right? But the great books are rewarding, and as you begin to learn them, it's a wonderful experience. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues presented by Hillsdale College. For more episodes, search for Hillsdale Dialogues at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, or Ricochet. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.